excited to have you here. Can we give it up for our first time guests? And for those of us joining, those joining us online, we are so excited to be able to come into your homes. And for those of you here, we're celebrating the goodness of God. And we believe that God has a word for you. Amen? Amen. All right, so if you believe that, say this with me. Say, I have ears to hear. I have eyes to perceive. And I have a heart that's ready to understand and receive the living word of God. Amen. Well, we're excited about that. Father, we thank you for your word. It is true, and it will speak to our lives today in Jesus' name. All right, so we are in the midst of a series that we've been on the last couple of weeks entitled Hindsight 2020. And what we've been doing is using the example of 2020, you know, this past year, as a means to examine God's word and learn what it teaches us about overcoming difficulties, facing challenges. You know, it's interesting, I just realized it right now at this moment, that when we started this year, I started, uh, the second series we did in the year um, was along these lines. And, and what was interesting is that if, if, now that I think about it, it was preparatory for what we would undergo, but this series is sealing the deal for moving forward from challenges. So I hope you are excited. You guys excited? All right, good stuff. So they say that hindsight is always 2020. About three of you have heard that, right? That's all right. That's good that only about three of you have heard that because I don't know that that's completely true. You know, the past can only provide us clarity and vision if we see it correctly. And there is no denying that this past year has not been without challenges. But the truth is that it has also not been without clarity from God. In the midst of this year, in the midst of your trials, in the midst of where you've been and what you've been through, not just this year, but even in your past, even in the challenges that you'll face ahead, ahead God has been speaking, God is speaking, and God always will speak to you. And I believe that that's important to keep in mind and to put in context as we approach life, because for some of us, we've experienced some traumatizing things. For some of us, we've lost some people along the way, and we still live with that loss. That still weighs us down. For some of us, we, we, we're still focused on what happened instead of what can happen and what God is doing right now. And so I pray that you hear the word of God today, that you press in, that you lean in, and that you even go further than that, and that you go back and re-listen to this and you look to the scriptures because I believe that God is bringing you clarity right now. You guys ready for this? Yeah. All right. So uh, one of the dominant responses that we've observed and some have, have succumbed to in this past year is this issue of worry. Worry, right? You ever been worried? Yeah. Right? Some of you just, you don't want to rat on yourself. I get it, right? You just don't want to tell on yourself, right? Not me. Listen, we all have faced worry, right? But worry in so many different ways. We've worried about this past year's event. We've worried about the past. We worry about the present. We worry about the impact of our challenges. We worry about tomorrow. And I want to ask you a question as we get started here. Why are you worried? Why are you worried? Why are you worried? Think about it. What has worry ever accomplished in your life? What, what, what has it ever accomplished? What good thing has it produced for you up until this moment? What benefit has there ever been to worry in your life? I mean, I'll prove it to you. Have any of you ever worried about, have any of you ever found yourself in a place of worry and seen good results while you're worrying? No, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. We worry and what we do is we see the worst results. We believe the worst. We, we, we go down this rabbit trail, this deep, dark hole, and we see all the, 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 the very worst of results for our lives. And today, I'd like to talk to you on this topic. Why worry? Somebody say with me, why worry? Tell somebody, why are you worried? I pray, listen, I pray you're really thinking about this because medical experts all agree that worry is a silent killer that it affects the mind and the body in a variety of ways. 
it disrupts our sleep, it produces headaches, it causes difficulty with con concentration, it uh, uh, initiates uh, many bouts with nausea, it leads to exhaustion, it increases irritability, it creates confusion and difficulty when it comes to making decisions, it elevates levels of the stress hormone known as cortisol, which as I understand it, if it's too high for too long, it, it leads to weight gain and, and, and diabetes and high blood pressure and all these other destructive uh, physical results that we can endure in our bodies. And while worry is a silent killer to the mind and the body, it is also a killer to the most important aspect of your life and mine. It can be a disruptor and a destructor of all that is available to us by way of our newborn spirit and what God is trying to do in our lives. Now, I don't want you to take my word for this. I want us to turn to the word of God to look at an example of worry. And in this particular example that we're going to look to, we're going to see two very different responses to the same concern. We're going to see two very different responses to the same situation, to the same moment. We're going to see two very different responses to the same worry. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. We'll be starting at verse 38. And starting there, it says that as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And I imagine Jesus responding to her and going, Martha, 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 what's going on? No. I believe that Jesus most likely puts an emphasis on her name twice because she's not getting it. She's missing something. He says, Martha, Martha. It says, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about Many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now see, this moment in history provides us invaluable lessons on overcoming worry in our lives. In this account, we have two women who opened the door to their home to Jesus Christ. And yet, we see two different responses in the same moment. Two different responses to the same care. Two different responses to the same situation while in the presence of God. Both of these women had Jesus with them in this moment. Would you agree? They were both there with Jesus. But one of them was with Jesus and one of them wasn't. And we have to stop and consider why. What's going on here? What's the issue here? You see, Martha was consumed with all the preparations that had to be made. She had the right intent, but the wrong response to God in this moment for her life. She was more concerned with serving God, preparing in the environment around her for God, possibly even cleaning up her dwelling for God and making sure that she had covered all the bases for God. You know what that kind of sounds like? It kind of sounds like religion, right? Where the emphasis is all based on the necessary things that we do to address our outer life. When in fact, what Jesus is after is intimately touching and healing our inner life. As a result, we see from these these verses that Martha's worries left her frustrated. They left her feeling overlooked. They left her even questioning if Jesus cared about her. Mary, on the other hand, was consumed with one thing. She was consumed with being focused upon Jesus. Not just on Jesus, but on what he was doing in that moment. 
She was focused on the preparation that this was affording her for life. And so what we see is that she was more concerned with Jesus and the life-giving words that he was imparting into her life than she was with leaving him for her worries and the unnecessary preparations that could only address the surface-level areas of life. And as a result, we see that her response left her fulfilled. Her response left her free from the weight of worries. And so what we see here is two very different results in the face of the same situation, the same moment, the same opportunity from these women. They were both concerned with tending to Jesus, but one's response was a very good one, while the other's response was a very bad one. And the difference that hung in the balance was how they chose to respond in the face of worry. Now I want you to just take 10 seconds to ask yourself this question and honestly answer it for yourself. How do you deal with worry? How do you deal with it? What's your response to worry? What's your tendency? Which way do you bend when it comes to worry? And now that you've thought about that, I want you to consider God's word in relation to how you approach worry in life. Because there are some lessons that the scriptures provide us and this story provides us on overcoming worry. You ready? Got to tell somebody, I'm ready. Tell somebody else, I'm ready for what God's got to say to me. Now listen, the first point that I want to leave you with here is that you can worry or you can worship, but you cannot do both. I'm going to say that again. You can worry or you can worship, but you cannot do both. Listen, these women had the same opportunity in this moment. An opportunity to experience what Jesus was trying to do in their lives. An opportunity to experience the beginnings of life with God. But they had two very distinct responses and results. See, one chose to worry while the other chose to worship God. You can only do one or the other in life. You can't do both. And the reason why their results were different in the face of the same worry, the same concern, the same situation was because they both forsook one for another. They both forsook one for another. Now, I know you're probably asking yourself, well, what does that mean? I'm so glad you asked. I'll tell you what I mean by that. In order for Martha to focus on her worry, in order for Martha, for Martha to be worried, in order for her to be worried, to be overtaken by this worry, to have her focus and her attention and her belief and her drive all driven by this, this worry, she had to forsake her worship of God. She had to give up the moment with Jesus, give up what he was speaking, give up, let go of that opportunity in order to worry. On the other hand, Mary focused on her worship before Jesus. She concerned herself with what Jesus was imparting into her life. And in order to do that, she had to forsake her worries. So why is that important? Because no matter which way you cut it, slice it, or dice it, my friend, here's what it all boils down to. Worry will always take away from your worship of God. Worry will always take away from your worship of God. And the converse is also true, that worshiping God will always take from your worries. I'm going to say that again. Worshiping God will always take away from your worries. Listen, if you just focus upon the goodness of God, listen, it's easy to sing and say, you are good, good, oh, good, you're so good, God, you're good, you're good, God is good, 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 God, you're so good. And experience none the better. You, we could all do that. But there's something about knowing the goodness of God. There's something about knowing that God is present. There's something about knowing that God is faithful and true to his word. There's something about knowing that God is working all things out. There's something about knowing that God will never leave you nor forsake you. There's something about knowing the goodness of God 
that active presence of God at work in your lives and in mine. I remember in the, many years ago when we first got started, me and Pastor Annette, you know, we had two very young kids, and uh, she was working in an office, doing office work in lower Manhattan, and I was working at another uh, place, and I believe at that time I was a receptionist or something. And, and here's why I share that with you, because I want you to get the picture that we weren't making much money, right? It, th th things were, were tight. Things were a little tough. We lived in, in the Kingsbridge area of the Bronx, and, and in the area that we lived in, it was not just a bad area. It was probably one of the worst areas in the Bronx. And uh, it, it was so bad that, you know, the drug dealers, they were around freely open. Police didn't, they, 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 there wasn't much they could do. Um, gunshots were something that was regular and common. Uh, you'd hear them all the time. Um, we lived in less than acceptable conditions. Let me tell you what I mean by that. When you walk in and the mice wave at you, that's not acceptable. <laughs> Let me tell you how unacceptable it was. When you opened the cabinet and the roaches did not scatter, but instead they stood there and looked at you like, can I help you? <laughs> That's not acceptable. You getting the picture? It wasn't a good situation. Money was tight and we were cramped. Listen, we lived in a studio apartment. Four of us in a studio apartment in the hood and it was during those times in those early years that I wasted a lot of time worrying the thing about it is that my wife used to drive me nuts because she she spent a lot of her time worshiping God I'm not talking about fluffy pie in the sky just singing songs my wife was focused upon the word of God. My wife saw beyond our present circumstances. And it used to drive me crazy because she would say, one day we're going to have a house. And I would go, woman, can we first try to get out of this rat hole? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you're talking about a house. We, we haven't even gotten past home plate. We're not even in the stadium yet. And so my wife was, you know, in, in, in those years when I spent no time listening to God, when I wasn't looking to his word, when I was just overwhelmed with worries and, and, and the problems that I foresaw and the things that, the stories that I was creating in my head, my wife had this tendency to focus her attention upon God, upon his promises, upon his word, and she would remind me of those things. It would drive me crazy. But I remember we, we didn't have a car, and so we would take the bus and the train for everything. We would take two, three trains to get to work. We would take two buses to get to church. Rain, sleet, or snow. And we didn't just go to church on Sundays, you know, because we were just so giving. That's just how we are built as a family. Um, we, we just saw the need to be involved. And so we helped our church however we could. Pastor Nett helped out with the finances. I helped with cleaning and fixing and doing whatever it was. Our kids would help pick up stuff and move it. And, and they would fall asleep on the under the pews oftentimes. So it was just, that's just how we did things. So we were always on the go and we were always either paying for a cab or taking two, three buses or taking a train, whatever. And my wife gets the bright idea one day and she goes, "Hun, I feel like God is telling us that we should buy a car. And I said to her, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> because in my mind, that didn't fit into what I saw, Right? I didn't have any faith for that. I didn't believe that we could. I believed that we were bound to, to, to struggle and to stay stuck. And so my response wasn't a good one. I was, it, it came out of this place of worry. But my wife said, no, hon, we can get a car. We can get a car. And, and she was praying about it. And she would encourage me and all that. She would show me cars. And, and I would go, nope, nope. And then one day, I thought I got a revelation from God. I did it, by the way. I said, all right, all right, all right, all right. I believe that God is calling us to get a car. I believe. I believe that. Yes, I believe what you're saying. But it's not going to be more than $8,000. We're going to finance it for six years. We can't afford to pay more than $120 a month. The insurance better be dirt cheap. Right? And some of you are looking at me and you're going, in what world were you living? Because it just doesn't happen. And so really what I was doing was setting myself up, setting us up for failure. That's what worry does to you, by the way. It sets you up for failure. Long story short, um, 
my, my wife would show me cars. I go, nope, that's not in our budget. Nope, that's not in our budget. So one day, I wake up early in the morning, as is always my custom, and, and I get up, and I, and I happen to walk into the kitchen. And listen, we were in the hood, but we were taking slow, progressive steps. We had a washer. We didn't have a dryer, but we had a washer. See, some of you can't appreciate that. You ain't been where I've been. But let me tell you, we had a washer. So on top of this washer, there was a bunch of circulars. And it was a President's Day. Uh, it, there was a snowstorm, and it was President's Day, so we weren't going to work that day. And, and in the middle of this snowstorm and, 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 and all this stuff, I see this on, on top of our washer, and it says, President's Day Sale, Mitsubishi. And for whatever reason, I look at it, and then I took a second look. And I said, I'm going to go see about a car. So I wake my wife up early in the morning. She goes, where are you going? What are you doing? I said, I'm going to see about a car. And my wife did one of these. <laughs> I didn't see her do it, but I'm sure she did. <laughs> Long story short, I hop on the train. I get down to midtown Manhattan. I think it was like 10th, 11th Avenue, around 51st, something like that. And I go to this Mitsubishi dealer, and I walk in. And the guy says to me, and I'm the only guy walking into this place, by the way. There's no one else buying a car that day. I walk in there in the middle of a snowstorm, not, not snowflakes, a snowstorm. I walk in there, and this guy says to me, how can I help you? And I said, yeah, I'm looking for a car. And he says, oh, well, let me show you a few cars. He says, whoa, whoa, whoa stop. It's got to be no more than $8,000, right? I'm, I'm going to finance it, and if I finance it, I'm putting down $500, and I'm not paying more than $120 a month. And the guy says to me, okay, well, let's see what I can help you with. And he begins to show me cars. And I'm like, bro, that's, I told you, that's more than $8,000. That's more than $8,000. That's more than $8,000. That's more than $8,000. Brother, what part aren't you getting? Ocho mil dólares. Tú no hablas inglés. It's $8,000. He goes, let me show you this car. And I'm like, no. He goes, come on, sit in the car. I said, bro, you're not going to get me like that. So we go around the world, look at all these cars, and we come back to this one car he was showing me. It's a brand new car. It was a Mitsubishi uh, Lancer OZ Rally. It was the first of those cars that came out, the, the very first model that came out. They had never made these cars before. And I sit in it, and I'm like, man, this is a nice car. Man. I like the feel of a new car, but you can't afford this. And then I get out the car, and I say, yeah, bro. But he goes, but before you say anything, let me show you the deal I can give you. Could you believe that it was, it was a little bit above what I thought? But let me tell you, it was doable, it was available, it was for us. Can I tell you something? My worry had blocked me from my blessing. And let me tell you that when you worry, you miss the blessing of God often. I drove out of that, out of that dealership with a brand new car, and I got home. It chokes me up, man, because I still remember Joshua and Karina, they were so little, running out and, and jumping into the car, and they're going, we got a car? We got a car? We got a new car? And I remember that next day, um, getting the kids in the car, and we were driving them to school, and as we're passing by the bus stop, I remember Josh, he was so small, little fat cheeks, and he goes, bye-bye, bus stop. <laughs> But let me tell you something, man. Let me tell you something about this point about how you can worry or you can worship God, but you can't do both. See, worship draws your attention to God and reveals to you his purposes. Worry, on the other hand, draws your attention to lies. And it paints the picture of problems and impossibilities. And it leads you away from God's purposes. And so I want to encourage you, my friend, that if you're a worrier, just know this, that you can't worship. It's not that you don't want to. It's not that you don't love God. It's that you're robbing yourself of the opportunity because you're so focused on your problem that you can't see the one who has your solution. Amen? Amen. The second point I want to leave you with here is this, is that worry does not take away tomorrow's troubles, but it does take away today's peace. Worry does not take away tomorrow's troubles, but it does take away today's peace. Listen, Martha was consumed with the preparations that she thought were necessary for what was to come. 
We don't know if she was making preparations for a meal. We don't know if she was preparing for more guests that they were expecting to come or for something else. Whatever it was, it was robbing her of peace in that moment. In the current climate of life that we're in, there are many unknowns pertaining what is to come in the future. There are people that are wrestling with questions like, what if I still, will I still have a job? What if I don't recover? Will the issues in our nation change? Will we ever get back to normal if it was ever normal to begin with? Will I ever heal? Will my tomorrows look better than today? But I want you to stop and consider, what is it that's actually happening while you're worrying about tomorrow? What actually is happening when you're worrying about tomorrow? I want us to look to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. Starting at verse 25, it says, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about, what, about your body or what you will wear. Notice he's talking about what's to come. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They, don't, they, they, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Listen to verse 34. Therefore, do not worry. In the Greek, here's what he's saying. Do not be troubled with cares about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now in context, Jesus is speaking to people like you and I. They were seeking the wisdom of God, the kingdom of God, but they were seeking God while they were also worrying. <laughs> while they were also worrying. They were thinking about tomorrow, which led them to a result that produced nothing but worry. In the beginning of these verses, we gather that these people were worried about matters pertaining to what was to come. They were worried about what they would eat. They were worried about what they would drink. They were worried about what they would wear. And Jesus' response to all of these worries, all these cares, all these troubles that were weighing them down was a simple and yet profound one. Let me read it to you again in verse 25. He says, do not worry about your life. Did you catch that? Do not worry about your life. I really feel like some of us need to really take these words to heart because we're worrying. Because we're worrying about what's to come. We're worrying about our career. We're worrying about our children. We're worrying about how we're going to make it. We're worrying about our next steps. We're worrying about what the future holds. We're worrying if we'll ever see any change in our present circumstances. But the thing about it is this, that while you're worrying about tomorrow, you're missing what God is trying to do and show you today. See, in essence, Jesus was attempting to shift their focus from their worries to their answer. He was seeking to shift their focus from their perceived problems to their actual solution. And so he says to them, seek first God's kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He's trying to show them that God cares. But the problem is that they could not perceive it, nor could they receive it, because they were overwhelmed with worries. You know, it's interesting, but in, these, in, in this particular portion of Scripture, Jesus says to them, why are you worrying about what you'll wear and what you'll eat and, and, and where you'll be and all these other things? And then he says this, oh, you 
of little faith. What I want you to see is this, that a lack of faith goes hand in hand with worry. A lack of faith goes hand in hand with worry. So if you're overwhelmed with worry, if you're a worrier instead of a warrior, right? If you're a warrior, number one, don't beat yourself up. But number two, realize what the source is. You're not trusting God. You're not believing what God says. Listen, if God could take a hot mess like me and open doors and pull me out of a miry clay, a pit where I was stuck and life was just bad. My, I had stinking thinking. You could tell me the sun was shining and I would say, yeah, but it's going to rain. You could tell me about how good the opportunities were ahead and I would tell you about how bad it is and how it's going to get more worse for me in life. I was convinced about the worst and it was because I was worried and the reason for my worry was because I mistrusted the truth. I lacked faith. It wasn't that I lacked God. I just lacked an understanding of the truth. See, the reason why this is so important for us to understand is because God is working it out for you right now in this moment. Notice what Jesus says. Stop worrying about tomorrow. Sufficient are the tomorrow. There's, there's enough trouble for tomorrow and sufficient are the cares for tomorrow. You worry about today. You focus on today. You work on today. And what you may not realize is this, is that God is working in your life right now. Right now. The scripture says in Romans chapter 8 that God works all things for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Hey, by the way, somebody needs to say, that's me. I believe that. That's me. And if you believe, if you have Christ in your life, if you've put your trust in Christ, while you're worrying, you need to go above your worry and recognize that God is still in your midst and God is still good and God is still working it out for you. You are not done. Because he's not done. So when you focus and remain in the place where God is at work, peace is the result. Because you are conscious that he's still present. He's still good. The next thing I want to share with you here, and I want to leave you with, is that worry amplifies mistrust in God. I'm going to say that again. Worry amplifies mistrust in God. The reason why I say that is because worry uh, leads us to worship the problems of life. Anything we worship outside of God produces a lack of trust in God. I'll prove it to you. When you are racked with worry, you know what you're doing? You're caving in, you're bowing, you're making way, you're yielding for lies in your life. You haven't even gotten to tomorrow, but you're convinced about what the next 20 years are going to look like. Could it be that the reason why some people today find themselves in such dire straits, in such bad situations, in such an, an unhealthy emotional state, the reason why their homes are wrecked, the reason why they, they're struggling in life in every regard or in any regard, could it be it's because we missed what God is doing in the moment? and we're not trusting him? I submit to you that it is. See, Martha's worries did not stop at the compounding anxieties that weighed her down while making preparations. Martha's worries took her to a deep place of mistrust in Jesus. The more she thought about her problems, the more she thought about everything she had to get done, the louder and more amplified her questions about Jesus became. Her problems became so amplified, so loud, that she questioned, don't you care, Jesus, that my sister left me all this work to do by myself? Her question had to do with more than her desire for her sister's help. See, Martha was bringing into question if Jesus even cared for her. 
Think about this. So how do you scale down worries so that we can amplify our trust in God? How do we do that? In Luke 21, verse 34, it says, But be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down and depressed with the giddiness of debauchery and the nausea of self-indulgence and the worldly worries of life. And then that day when the Messiah returns will not come on you suddenly like a trap. Now in context, Jesus is speaking here about his second coming and the things that will cause many to misplace their trust in him and miss his return. And one of the threats that he mentions here are the worries of life. And the solution that he proposes to this, as well as to the other matters that he's alluding to, is that we are to be on guard so that our hearts are not weighed down. Be on guard. So how do we do that? How, how, do, you, how do you guard this place of belief where trust is born and we look to God with confidence? How do, you, how do you guard that? How do you keep yourself from being overwhelmed by worry? The best example that I could think of just to spur of the moment is pull out one of these. You know, when you worry, what you do is you amplify a lie. I'm not saying that the current circumstances you're in aren't real and that they aren't happening. But what I'm saying is you begin to amplify their impact in your life. You begin to tell yourself a story that's contrary to the truth. It kind of looks like this, you know, isn't it true that for many of us, worries revolve around these, right? Pieces of paper and the opportunities that we believe that they make, they create for us. And so we get so focused on these and we, and we look to these to such an extent and, and what we do is we worry. Now we're in a pretty big room in here. But isn't it interesting how this small piece of paper can block out the entirety of my view of this room? You know, David says this once in, in, in a psalm. He says, I will magnify the Lord. And for some of us, we should take heed to those words and really dig into the truth that he's sharing there. Because while we're magnifying our problems, while we're magnifying our worries, we're missing God in the process. And we can learn something from the other side of this piece of paper if we would just remind ourselves of what it tells us. On the other side of this piece of paper, it says, in God we trust. In God we trust. What would it look like if we magnified that truth in our lives? I'll tell you what it would do. It would take us past the piece of paper and remind us, God, you are my source. You are my provider. You are present. You have been good. You are good. You will always be good. And God, I will magnify you above all these things. Listen, you know what's the beauty of when you magnify God in your life? When God is bigger than your problems, what problems do you have to worry about? Come on now. That's good stuff. Woo. The last point that I want to leave you with here is this, as we stand and come to a close. It's that worry is only a distraction. I'm going to say that again, because we need a new working definition of worry, of worrying in life, of worries for life. Worry is only a distraction. The scriptural account says that Martha became distracted by the many pre preparations that ultimately became her worries. That term, that word there, distracted in the Greek, means to be drawn out or to be drawn away to such an extent that it causes you to deviate in your thinking and in your belief. You know, worry is a lot like a magic trick. You ever seen a real good magician, right? They go, now you see it? Now you don't. And we go, ooh. And we get so caught up with the trick that we miss 
the truth. We get so caught up with what the trick shows us. And let me tell you, the scripture says that we are to be on guard and that we are to stand lest we fall for the trickery of the enemy. See, he's a trickster. And he will launch lies at your life. He's not making anything happen in your life. Can I tell you that you and I are the ones that empower worries and create the very problems that we undergo? It's how you respond to worry. It's what you magnify in your heart and in your belief. And so worry is like, a lot like a magic trick where we can become so mesmerized by the outcome that we miss the trick that makes us believe what we see. It might seem to some of us like God is not present and that God is not in the midst of your cares and your worries, but you cannot fall for the trick. You cannot fall for the lie that is distracting you from his presence in your life. The scripture says that Martha was busy in the back, distracted by all the preparations that she had to make. And when she comes to Jesus complaining and moaning and crying, overwhelmed, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and overcome by many things. Many things. But in fact, you should just focus on one thing. One thing. You know why he said that? Because when you give your soul attention to God, I'm not talking about you walk around and you're just, it's all about God. It's all about God. God, everything. God, God. No, no, no. You can see God in the midst of every area of your life. As you are at work, you can love God and serve God and worship God as you serve people and work with people by standing in the truth. As problems come your way, you can worship God and you can look to God because you're focused on his promises and on the surety that he will never leave you and that he will see you through because he promises that he's working in your life right now. As you're dealing with your children and concerned about their futures and thinking about how you're going to make it and thinking about how the, where, where, where this opportunity is going to come from and how you're going to get them to college and, and how you're going to feed them, don't miss in the moment what God is doing. He says, if I feed the ravens of the air and they don't have anywhere that they go to get food, they don't have anywhere to store it, but yet every day I make sure they're fed. And then he says this, how much more valuable are you? Will I not feed you? If you would just focus on God will feed me as opposed to where am I going to eat? How am I going to make it? You'd always find the solution. Isn't it true we've all been in need? We've all, we all know what it is to worry. Let me ask you something. Did you make it? Did it work out? Don't miss the unseen hand of God. Don't worry. You're valuable. He takes care of you. I'm reminded of a portion of scripture where Peter says this as we close. He says that we are to cast our cares upon him. Because he cares. Now here's the thing about casting your cares. That word cast there means to undo, to, to, to take off of yourself those worries. But here's what you do. You take the worries off. And when you take the worries off, what you can receive is the sure care of God. And so today as we come to a close... I'll leave you with a closing thought. David was a man who faced many worries, many cares, many issues in life. And I'm not telling you that David didn't worry at times. He did. But David had something operating in his heart that he believed above all that always brought him through. In Psalm 46, verse 1, he says this, God is our refuge and strength, mighty and impenetrable, a very present and well-proved help in trouble. Listen to what David knew above everyone else in his day and age. God, 
You are my strong tower. God, you are, you are the one that I can always come to and I will always find shelter. I will always find provision. You are an impenetrable fortress. You are mighty. You are strong. But watch why he knew that. Because God, you're always present. You're always present. And some of us need to get back to that simple truth. He's still with you. He's still present. He's never left you. You're not overlooked. You're not unimportant. You're not in value. You're not without value. You're his child. And God says, I'm present. And I am your strong tower. Amen? Come on, we need to celebrate the goodness of God. So don't worry. God is still your refuge. Don't worry. God is still strong enough in the face of your weaknesses. And don't worry because he's still present to help you in your time of trouble. Father, we thank you today for your word. I want you to just take 20 seconds right now and do something completely different. I want you to turn the volume down on the worries that you've amplified in your life. I want you to reduce the size of those things in your heart. Man, you might have to close your eyes. You may have to look somewhere. You may have to turn somewhere. You may have to do something. But here's why it's so important to do that. Because when we don't, we're distracted. Right here, right now, I want you to just simply take a moment to think about how good God is to you. Yeah, but I'm going through. Stop. You're distracted. Yeah, but you don't know how it feels. Stop. You're distracted. Yeah, but nobody around me cares. Stop. You're distracted. Yeah, but I have these bills. Stop. You're distracted. But the doctor said, stop. You're distracted. But everything around me is crumbling. Stop. You're distracted. Take 20 seconds and just see yourself like Mary at the feet of Jesus, hearing his promises, telling you he's at work, assuring you that you still have hope and good plans for your future, assuring you that while you don't see where your provision is coming from, that your vision is contingent upon you knowing that God is present. And so you can rest assured that he's still providing. Father, we say thank you. We take this holy, anointed, appointed moment to worship you, to not worry. Come on, some of you are feeling lighter right now at this moment. Some of you are breathing lighter. Some of you got a, a new pep to your step. You're looking to the future with hope. You're not weighed down by the cares of this world. Father, we say thank you for that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Now, it's very possible there's someone here today, or maybe there's someone you're joining us online, or maybe someone sent you this after the fact, and you're tuning in. Whoever you are, maybe you felt like life has just been one big weight, and today what you realize is that you've been overwhelmed with worry, and the reason why that worry has been so heavy upon your life is because you've never seen past your problems. You've never realized how big God is in your life. If that's you, my friend, I want you to know something, that today's message is directly from the, God, the heart of God for you. He's speaking directly to your life. He's touching you at your very core. He's telling you, I am present in your time of need. If you're connecting with God right now to that extent, if you find yourself looking past your problems and putting your hope in God at this moment, here's the very first thing that you need to know, that God loves you so much that when you and I had a problem that we could not resolve, this issue of sin, God saw past our sin. The scripture says that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'll translate that for you. Here's what it means. 
that God saw the issue of sin in our life and he saw that we couldn't make up the difference. That there was nothing that we could do to, un to undo it. And so he came up with a better plan. He says, I'll become like them and yet not sin. I'll live a perfect life in holiness and yet I'll die the death of a sinner to pay the price for sin so that they don't have to pay for it. My friend, here's the good news to you, to me, to the entire world. Sin isn't your problem. Your problem is you don't know the price that God paid. You don't know the freedom that's available to you. You don't understand the new life that's yours that will take you past the point of worry to a place of worship, to a place of freedom. And today, if you find yourself believing that Jesus did that for you, then I invite you to pray this with us because we want to pray this with you as we close. Say this with us. Say, Jesus, I believe. You are the Son of God. I believe you love me. I believe you care for me. And because of that, I believe you died for me. Paid the price for my sin. And you rose again. You proved that you are God. And by rising, you proved that I can rise too. And so this day I declare you my Lord and Savior. I call you my God. And from this point forward, I'm trusting you. I'm looking to you. And I'm thanking you. Because there's a, something better ahead than the worries I've seen this day. Now, if you prayed that with us, we're celebrating the power of God at work in your life. My friend, you have a new beginning. You can live past your worries. You can see a big God. Now, Father, we thank you for all you've done. We thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for worshiping with us. We'll see you again this Thursday for Christmas Eve service. God bless you. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.